Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avinu Machinu, our Father and King, Father, we thank you for being a gracious and loving God, for allowing us opportunity to open your word and to receive from you, to hear your voice, and to, uh, to have you reach into the depths of our heart and to make us more like you. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your voice heard, your words spoken and received, and that you will use me merely as a vessel for your good and for your kingdom, Father. We love you, we worship you, and we thank you for your Shabbat and for your words speaking to our hearts and our lives. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen and Amen. This morning we are in uh, Parsha uh, Kitetse. And Parsha Kitetse is a uh, perplexing, 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 a perplexing Parsha to say the least. Um, starts out with some rather awkwardness. You know, you've got, if you attack a, uh, a, a city and you come across uh, a young lady in that city that you are attracted to, you can take her into your house, shave her head, make her mourn for her family for 30, 30 days, and then you could have her as your wife. And then, <laughs> and then immediately following that, <laughs> and then immediately following that, the next thing that it says is, well, if you just don't like her, get rid of her. Um, but you can't sell her, and you've got to give her freedom, and you've got to, you know, whatever. Um, and, you know, there's a few other things that are a little quirky about this Parsha, Right. I want you to understand something, all right, before we really get into the meat of what we're going to deal with today. God is really not that crazy, I promise. But he knows that we are, all right? He knows that humanity are going to, that we're going to mess things up. He knows we're going to do stupid stuff. God does not like divorce, yet he gave commandments of how to make divorce as civil as possible. Not because he wants it, but because he knows that there are times, there are situations, there are reasons where it may happen. And he doesn't want us to go about it in a way that will cause more harm, more grief, and more damage. Uh, same thing goes with this uh, young lady that you happen upon in a village that you think looks good. Bring her in, shave her head, and, and mourn her, and then, or let her mourn her family, and then you can marry her, and if you don't like her, get rid of her, and don't sell her, and da-da-da. The, the premise here has nothing to do with you're stealing a girl into your house, and you're making her your servant, and then after she's your servant, you make her your wife so that you can have your way with her, and then get rid of her because you're tired of her. The premise is you see a young lady who has not been uh, damaged by idolatry in the area in which because you've got to remember these wars that this is speaking of are in Canaan, in the promised land where Israel is going to go in to dethrone a whole series of pagan cultures, right? And so God's saying, as you go in, if you see a young lady who has not been tainted by all of this, and she is willing to become your wife, and she is willing to become a part of Israel, you can marry her. Here's the procedures for that to happen. And then he says, but... If you become an idiot and decide that you don't like her and you just wanted to have fun with her and you go to kick her to the curb, you cannot sell her. You've got to make sure she's taken care of. You send her on her way with freedom. You do not kill her. And it's protection for the, the young lady, although it doesn't necessarily sound that way. It really is protection for the young lady that she is not treated as just property to be cast away when she's done with. Um, you also have to understand that we read this 
these passages in the 21st century, right? We read it with a filter of four, uh, 3,000 and change years of history and us making up on our mind 3,000 plus years later on what's right and wrong, ignoring the fact that what we're reading is set at a time and a place in history and a culture in history that is completely different than what we know today, all right? So we can't look at it just from 21st century eyes and assume, oh, well, this is despicable and horrible and uh, I think a popular word right now is deplorable. Um, and we, we can't just look at it like this and, and move on. We have to understand it's from a different time and place, all right? And these words may not be as pertinent today because typically speaking, living in Daphne, Alabama, you're not going to go and raid Fairhope uh, and burn it to the ground and take a young lady to be your wife. You know, that's typically not going to happen. So the words are not, although we read them and we take value from them, we can't actually enact these words today legally um, or ethically or any otherly. Um, so I want you to understand, although there are a lot of quirky things in this Parsha, God is not crazy, we are. And he's trying to limit our crazy, okay? And some of us maybe needs a lot more limiting than others. Um, I don't know. But so I want you to open up your scriptures. Like I said, we're in Parsha Kitetzei. Uh, I want you to open up your scriptures, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 21, verse 18. Um, it's a really powerful word I feel, a uh, powerful word that I feel the Lord has, has given me for this morning, um, and I, I just want to share my heart with you and, uh, and let this kind of flow. I, I never really know what's going to come out my mouth until it starts happening, um, so uh, you know, if I kick you in the shins as we go through, maybe this message was specifically for you, I don't know. Um, but no, uh, Deuteronomy 21 verse 18 says, suppose a man is a stubborn and rebellious son who does not listen to the voice of his father and mother. They discipline him, but he does not listen to them. Then his father and mother are to grab hold of him and bring him out, of the, out to the elders of the city, to the gate of the place of his place. They will say to the elders of the city, this, is our, uh, this son is of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He does not listen to our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city are to stone him with stones, so that, uh, stone him to death, so you will uh, purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear and be afraid. There's a couple of things with this that are very, 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 very important. First and foremost, this is not talking about a five-year-old that doesn't want to listen while he's playing with his Hot Wheel cars and leaves them on the floor for you to step on every night, all right? Not that I'm speaking from experience or anything. Um, this isn't what he's talking about. You got to understand, the key here is he says he's a drunkard and a glutton right? That means this kid's not a kid. This kid's 20, 30, 40 years old. This is a kid who has had a systematic life of problems over and over and over again, has never learned, has never turned his heart to the Lord, has never truly shown love and respect uh, to his parents like he was supposed to, and so on and so forth. And this is parents who are finally at the draw of the line. At the end of the line, they cannot deal with it anymore. The parents are then to take their son, drag him to, I'm assuming that's the only way he's getting there, but drag him to the gates of the city, to the, the judges that are there, and he's to tell them, they're to tell them, this is our son who's a drunkard and glutton, and then he's got to be stoned, all right? And the parents are actually the ones who throw the first stone. First, they're the witnesses. The scripture says one or two witnesses are required for death. They're the witnesses, the first-hand account witnesses, and they're the ones that have to throw the first stone, and then the city joins in, or the judges, the men of the city will join in. Um... This is a very important thing to grasp a hold of because if you're a parent and you have children, it doesn't matter how old or how reckless they become in life, you're not going to want to do that, right? 
As a matter of fact, throughout the entire scriptures, there is never a single account in which we read of this particular commandment being followed to the T. Nowhere. It doesn't exist in scripture. Not only that, but in the history of Judaism, only one rabbi has ever been recorded of ever seeing this happen. But there's no historical evidence or proof of it actually going down. So as far as we know, historically speaking, from, from any of the historical writings of Judaism, we have never seen an account in history in which this actually occurred, in which parents took their son to the city's edge and said, our son is beyond hope. We have no hope left for our child turning his heart back to the Lord. He's got to die now. Nowhere in the history of the people of God is there found evidence that this actually occurred. The Talmud, Sanhedrin 70a, 72a, says about this, the wayward and rebellious son is executed on account of the future as the Torah penetrates to his ultimate intentions. Eventually, he will squander his father's money, seek what he has become habituated to, not find it, and stand at the crossroads and rob people, killing them, thereby incurring the death penalty. Says the Torah, let him die innocent, rather than have him die guilty. This is the Talmud's take on this passage. It's not exactly the wording used in the Torah, obviously, but the idea here is, is that if this son is stoned, this son is stoned on account of what will be in the future because he's proving now that he's just going to continue to get worse. So if this son gets stoned, it's to protect him from the future, not necessarily just because of what he's doing now. Now, you may be wondering why in the world we're honing on this one single little section of this Parsha. Jump to Luke 15, verse 11. People love quoting this passage all the time, all right? We love to read about it because it makes us feel good. It makes us feel warm and loving because it's an image of our Heavenly Father and us and our lives and sin and ultimate redemption in the, the blood atonement of Messiah. So Luke 15, 11 says, Then Yeshua said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me my share of the property that comes to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything and traveled to a far country, and there he squandered his inheritance on wild living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine came against that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and joined himself to one of the city, citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to fill up on the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one was giving him any. So he wanted to eat the pig's food because he had nothing else to eat, but nobody would even give him that. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired, hand, hired workers have food overflowing, but here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in, in your presence I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. And he got up and went to his father. But while he was still far away, his father saw him and felt compassion. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Then the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your presence I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. Then they began to celebrate. Now his older son was out, of the field, out in the field, and he had, as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing and called out to, the one, uh, to one of the servants who began to ask what these things could be. The servant said to him, your brother has come, 
and your father has killed the fattened calf because he got him back safe and sound. But the older son was angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came outside and pleaded with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, so many years I have slaved away for you. Not once did I ignore your order. You've ne- yet you've never given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes home, uh, the one who has squandered away your wealth with prostitutes, for him you killed a fattened calf. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and everything that is mine is yours. But it was right to celebrate and rejoice because the brother of yours was dead but has come back to life. He was lost, but is found. This, the youngest son, the uh, um, parable of the prodigal son, this, the youngest son, was the very definition of what Deuteronomy 21, 18 is speaking about. A son who could care less about his parents or what they think or what they say. A son who has no love and no compassion for his parents and has no love lost when he leaves. He takes everything that is due him and he leaves and he goes and makes a complete and total wreck of his life. This kid in particular is so far gone and so distraught that he's looking at the pig's food and desiring to eat it because he's got nothing else. And then it dawns on him, even the least of my father's servants had better food than this to eat and plentifully, yet here I am starving. And he runs back to his father. He returns back to his father. See, this is the child that the Torah is speaking of. This is the child that his parents could have taken him to the city's gates and could have put him in front of the judges and could have had him stoned and killed because of who he had become and in protection of what he could become in the future. But notice the grace and the love of these parents who instead of doing exactly what was due to this boy, they go and they wait for him to return. They send him on his way. They let him do what he's going to do. They let him go hog wild. That's the pun's intended since he was trying to eat pig's food. They let him go hog wild, ultimately longing for the day that he just might come to his senses and return home. And yet here he does finally come running home. Notice the love of the father. He could care less about what happened in the past. All right? and, and many theologians speak of this passage and they look at it and they, they talk about how it is very likely that the entire time that the youngest son was gone, the father was sitting at the, at the road at the house and was just looking down waiting for that son to come back. Nothing else in the world existed or mattered except waiting for that son to come back. And he sat every day waiting and waiting and waiting and watching and watching and watching and finally here comes that son running back Now, this kid's running back for the desire of just being a slave. He doesn't want to be counted as a son again. He understands he ruined that. He'd be more than happy just being a slave. At least then he gets three square in a cot. But when his father sees him from the distance, before he even gets close enough to open his mouth, his father sees him from a distance and runs to him. Runs as fast as he can get to him. Wraps his arms around him in a brace and kisses him. And welcomes him home. And before the kid can even finish saying his spiel, he says, look, I understand I've sinned against heaven and against you, um, and I've done all these evil things. And before he could even get, and now I'm coming home to you just to be a slave out of his mouth, his father says, let's celebrate because my son is back from the dead. This is the heart of our heavenly father for each one of us. This is not an experience that his heart has only when we're buried deep in sin or only until we come to faith. 
This is the heart of the Father every single time we sin, even after we come to faith. Maybe even more so. We go back to the Torah Parsha in Deuteronomy 21, verse 22. This is literally the exact next words. Verse 21 is the closing of the passage about the stubborn, rebellious son. Verse 22 picks up and says, Suppose a man is guilty of a sin with a death sentence, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree. His body is not to remain all night on the tree. Instead, you must certainly bury him the same day, for anyone hanged uh, is a curse of God. You must not defile your land that, your, that Adonai your God is giving you as an inheritance. Jewish tradition says the reason that that person hung on the tree would be considered a cursed is because he was not able, once he was put on the cross, he was put on that stake, on that tree for the sake of his sins, because of his actions, but because he was put on that tree, he was not able to fall to his knees in repentance. So the reason he's cursed is because he's not able to repent. Now, we understand repentance, and you could very well repent while you're hung on this tree before you die, um, but the image is still there. And so this next passage, immediately following this stubborn and wayward son, is the scripture says, cursed is a man who hangs on the tree. Lo and behold, we look at our Messiah, Yeshua. Keep in mind that our Father, our Heavenly Father, is that Father waiting for His Son, the prodigal son, the youngest son, who took off with everything before it was due Him, wasted it all away on everything despicable and disgusting, everything against the Torah, everything against the Word of God, everything against a relationship with God and with His family. Yet here's this father waiting at the end of the road, longing for his son to come back someday. This is our Heavenly Father waiting for us. First Peter, I'm sorry, Galatians. Galatians 3.10 says, for all who rely on the, tar, on the deeds of Torah are under a curse, for the scripture says, cursed is everyone who does not keep doing everything written in the scroll of the Torah. Notice here, it's not cursed are those who keep the Torah. It's cursed are those who keep doing it because they're not going to do everything in it. We sin when we break the scripture's word. We sin when we break God's word, when we go against it, when we transgress his word. So we're not cursed in trying to keep it. We're cursed because we're going to fail at it. doesn't matter how hard we try or how often we try or how deep our knowledge is and what the rabbis say trying looks like. We're going to fail over and over and over again. We're going to constantly be the prodigal son. Verse 11, it is clear that no one is set right before God by Torah, for the righteous shall live by emunah, by faith. However, Torah is not based on trust and faithfulness. On the contrary, the one who does these things shall live by them. Verse 13, Messiah liberated us from Torah's curse. The curse of Torah is death, not the Torah itself. The curse of Torah is death because death, eternal death, is what's due to us due to our sins. It is what's awaiting us because of our sins. In other words, because of our sins, we are absolutely worthy of being taken to the city gates and hung out to dry in front of the judges of the city, and stoned by our family and all the men that are at the city gates because we are disgusting and despicable on our own. It says, But Messiah liberated us from Torah's curse, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. 
in order that through Messiah Yeshua, the blessing of Abraham might come to Gentiles so we might receive the promise of the Ruach, the Spirit, through trusting faithfulness. 1 Peter 2, verse 24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we removed from sins might, so that we removed from sins might live for righteousness. By His wounds we are healed. Our Father in heaven cherishes us and loves us so much. He's waiting at the end of the road, longing nothing more than for us to return to Him. So much so that He gave His only Son, allowed Yeshua, who was perfect, spotless, never once in His life sinned, yet died a death of sinners. Not only died a death of sinners, but died on a tree, on the stake, on the cross, taking a curse upon Himself, the curse of death, which is the, the response for sin, took it upon Himself so that you and I could be that prodigal son returning back to our Heavenly Father. We don't deserve any of this. On our own, we are worthless. But our Father loves us so much that His desire is nothing more than to wait for us to return to Him, to find His salvation, to find His redemption brought in the fact that He Himself took a curse upon Himself that we could be made restored, that we are not uh, eligible to be taken to the city gates, that we are not eligible to die for our sins. I think it's by uh, by no coincidence that these two passages in this Torah Parsha are butt up against each other. It is by no consequence that God talks about the wayward son and then immediately following about a man hung on the tree. And alas, our salvation comes from the man himself who is God robed in flesh hung on a tree that we could be bought for redemption and salvation and made eligible to return to him in full restoration. And just like the father of the prodigal son, our heavenly father is standing there waiting with a celebration for us to come back to him. There's nothing that's going to hold us back and there's nothing that's going to hold him back. He's longing for us to return. He's longing for us to come back to Him. And a lot of times as believers, we look at passages like the prodigal son and we're looking at the outside world. We're looking at at everyone else. And we're looking at them like, if only you answered the call, if only you came back. While at the same time, quite a few of us, all of us at some points, need to recognize that we're still that prodigal son that we're still falling short of the glory, that we're still going wayward, that we're still walking away from our Father, that although we have salvation, and think about it this way, those who are unsaved, who have not found the salvation of Yeshua, their sin breaks the heart of God. Hebrews says, how much more does our sin break his heart? having known salvation already. Each and every time we sin, and I'm not just talking about whether or not we eat a barbecue pork sandwich, all right? I'm not talking about whether or not we're working on Shabbat or we're lighting a fire on Shabbat or whether or not we're um, 
Any, it doesn't matter. I'm not talking about any of that. Specifically. I've told you before, my base definition of sin is anything that we do that damages the image of God in our lives. When people see you and I, they should see the face of God. They should see the presence of God. They should see the radiant glory shining off of us like Moses coming down from the mountain. But far too often we let the sins that we let in our lives mar that image of God and hinder what God wants to do through us in other people's lives. While at the same time, we like to look down on other people because of their sins, because of how far they are away from the Father. And we use those opportunities as times to go, oh, but at least I'm not that guy. At least I'm not that bad. I may have stubbed my toe and cussed the other night, but at least I'm not, at least I'm not that guy. Right? But the reality is, is if we have sin in our lives at all, we're that guy. We're the person that Yeshua died for. As believers, we lose focus on the value and the importance of repentance. Well, we've been talking about this for several weeks now leading up to the 10 days of awe and the season of, re of repentance coming with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. I want to encourage you Spend these next several weeks in honest repentance. And I don't mean just spouting off the things we think of that we've messed up on. I mean every single day on our face before the Lord repenting. Asking Him to bring up all of the things that we forget we've done. Because I guarantee on any given day, every one of us sins every hour, if not more. And we might not even realize we did it. And those sins are not necessarily going to affect our salvation, but that repentance will entirely affect our relationship. And what God wants as our Heavenly Father, more than anything else, is relationship. That's what He created humanity for. That's what Adam and Eve were created for, were for relationship. And every time we sin, we damage that relationship. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He gave his son so that you and I, his sons and daughters, do not perish at the city gate, but instead have eternal life. God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe has been condemned already because he has not put his trust in the name of the one and only Ben Elohim, the Son of God. This week's Haftarah Parsha in Isaiah 54. Verse 1 says, Sing barren one who has not given birth, burst into singing and shout. You who have not travailed, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married one. It says, Adonai, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out your tabernacle curtains. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right hand and to the left. Your offspring will possess the nations and will resettle the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed, nor cringe, for you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth. You will remember the reproach of your widowhood no more. 
For your maker is your husband, Adonai Zebaot is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He will be called God of all the earth. For Adonai has called you back like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of one's youth that is rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but I will regather you with great compassion and a surge of anger. I hid my face from you a moment, but with everlasting kindness. I will have compassion on you, says Adonai, your Redeemer. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more cover the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. Though the mountains depart and the hills be shaken, my love will not depart from you, nor will my covenant of peace be shaken, says Adonai, who has compassion on you. Afflicted one, storm-tossed, unconciled, behold, I set your stones and antimony. Lay your foundations with sapphires, make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of crystal, and all your walls of precious stones. All your children will be taught by Adonai. Your children will have great shalom. The Lord is saying, and these were words spoken to Israel during a time where the desolation of the land was right before their eyes. This was as they were awaiting the prophecies of the Lord to come true in the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and Israel being sent out into Babylonian captivity. And these words spoken to Israel are, I am going to bring you back. I will remember your sins no more. Your mistakes will no longer harm our relationship. And the reality is these words came true when our Messiah allowed himself to be put on that stake, to be buried in the ground before the end of the same day, just like the Torah says, and then resurrected again three days and three nights later, ascending into heaven, allowing his blood to be poured out upon the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, redeeming sin for all time, that you and I can be restored in that celebration feast with our Father as we, the prodigal, return back to him. This is not a message only for those that we as believers deem to be sinners. This is a word for you and me as well. Because although we may not deem our sins to be as bad as the next guy, the world looks at us and every sin and mistake that we make. And because of our salvation, because of the presence of God in our lives, Every single sin you and I make is a thousand times worse than anything they do in their lives. A friend of mine was telling me yesterday about some sort of um, sting they did in, in Pensacola this pre previous week uh, where a whole bunch of, of older men were busted trying to lure children online. The only story out of the, all of the men that were caught, 70-something plus men that were caught, the only man they chose to focus on in the news reports was a pastor. Now that doesn't mean that he's any worse or any better than anybody. I mean, it's all despicable. But to the world, our sins speak louder than theirs. And I can promise you this, to the world our sins speak louder than the message of salvation that we preach. It's time that we recognize that every single day we are that prodigal son, that prodigal daughter, that God is just waiting for us to return over and over and over again. This doesn't mean our salvation is affected by our sins, but our relationship is affected by repentance. And our Father wants us to return to Him wholeheartedly with nothing in the way of His image and likeness flowing through us.
so that the world around us may know the truth of his salvation because they see it in us. Our sins speak louder than our words. Our sins speak louder than his word. It's time that we let his word speak louder in us. Amen. I don't know about you, but I appreciate, greatly appreciate a God that is gracious. That even in his justice, he is gracious. Because I know me. I know my life. I know my mistakes. I know the wrecks I've made in other people's lives. But I also know that my God loves me so much that he gave his only begotten son that I can have eternal life in his midst. And he's done the same for each and every one of us in this room and every soul that has ever breathed the breath of life on the face of this created planet. And it's our job to go therefore and make Talmudim disciples of all men that they too may find salvation, redemption, restoration, and a feast celebrating their return to the loving embrace of their heavenly Father. Amen. Avrahamim, our Father and King, our gracious our merciful Father. We thank you for being a Father that loves your creation. We thank you for giving us examples throughout your scriptures of repentive hearts, of people willing and desiring to set aside what we want so that we can focus on what you want. Father, we thank you for the likes of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Moses, Aaron, Joshua and Caleb, Samuel, David, Solomon, Peter, Paul, Timothy, Stephen. For all of these and many, 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 many more in the narrative of your plan of salvation who show us a life of redemption, a life of courage and faith, a life of returning to you even when we mess up. And Father, I pray right now that in each of our hearts right now you will begin to move and draw us into repentance. You will begin even here and now to prepare our hearts for this season of repentance upon us. That you will prepare our hearts for the work that you have in store for us and these days that lay ahead and days that of all of history are of the utmost importance for us to share the Bessar, the good news of Messiah Yeshua with all we come into contact with and to make sure that your words speak louder than our lives. Father, I pray that your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, will completely and, and entirely overtake us. Speak through us. Work through your restoration in us that others may find salvation. And we thank you for loving us so much that you've given us this opportunity to return back to you. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen.